Welcome to Successful Parenting, where we, Jackie Rue and Robin Choquette, share practical skills for families to build resilience and healthy connections. As practicing professionals and parents ourselves, we hope this podcast is a resource for parents to grow, reflect, and learn more about themselves and their children. Our approach is simple, tangible, and most importantly, we lead with compassion for the integrity of the families we serve. This podcast should not be taken as medical advice and is intended for informational purposes only. We love our work and we can't wait to watch families gain confidence and open themselves up to new ways of successful parenting. Hi, Jackie. How are you today? I am doing good. I'm excited for uh, this morning's awesome podcast with our amazing guest expert. Yes, it's going to be a great one. And I love this topic. I think it's a topic that we can all relate to and understand, and we've all been there, right? Well, and it really works. I, I think we have a lot of families, parents in particular, that come to us and say, gosh, I walk in the front door of my house and my child sees me coming and they rush to the room and <laughs> slam the door. And I know we've asked parents, even on here, what are some of the first things you say to your child? And oftentimes, there are questions that children might perceive as feeling judged or even nagging questions per se, right? <laughs> right. And I think that's part of it. If we sometimes talk less, it really makes a big impact on the children around us. And they're able to really stop and listen because at some point, let's be honest, they just turn us off. They just completely tune out. So I think this is a great conversation and it's something we all need to practice. Definitely. And our guest expert today, I've known her for a long time. She has so much knowledge and expertise. Her name is Dr. Melissa Katz, and she's a big proponent of standing up for those and helping bring about change in communities. Right now, she's currently working just integrating healthcare across the board and open to all individuals, you know, young to old. And so she really has done a lot with, been on a lot of different boards. A lot of people in our community really look to her just in not only the topic of integrative healthcare, but just overall, she is kind of the go-to for how do we really bring about change in our community? I love it. Well, welcome, Dr. Katz. Thank you so much. I have this huge smile on my face. What a lovely and wonderful um, <laughs> introduction, especially coming from you, um, Jackie and Robin. I have been just huge admirers of the work that you've done in your communities. And additionally, I love this podcast. So it's really an honor to be here with both of you today. Oh, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule and community is huge for me. And so I just love to find you know, other people who I join in with that. I think it's something that I have always valued and really instilled that in my children as well of community. It's a part of what we do and a part of where we live. Mm -hmm. And we're not in these silos of just our family. We are a community. So I love it. Dr. Katz, what has brought you to this field? Where did this desire come from, not only to be a clinical psychologist, but also to bring about so much in terms of community change and development? Yeah. So, you know, I feel like my career path really naturally developed out of observations of my parents interacting with other people in our community while I was growing up. And I perceived certain strengths that they had that I felt that they had and the meaningful impact that I noticed when their talents sort of were seen 
in others. And I knew that I wanted to have those within myself someday. My mom was a teacher. She taught preschool and elementary school. And I remember being out and about in public with her and everywhere we would go, somebody would stop us. A kid would run up to her and give her a hug or a parent would stop and share how important my mom was to their family. And so I just noticed that impact. And I remember thinking how special she was and how special she made other people feel. At home, not only would she help us with our homework and take us to ballet lessons and feed us and do all of the things that, you know, a mom, you know, through my eyes would do, but she also spent time creating a sacred space for her students. She was always cutting something or laminating or... Reading every chapter book, she had um, individual kids in her classrooms. They all could pick their own book to read. They didn't have just one or two that they needed to choose from. And she would sit there and she would read every single chapter book so that she would be able to accurately help them with their book reports. And I just remember thinking that attention to care and detail must make those children feel so heard and seen and special. Yeah. I'm going to jump in really quick. I don't mean to interrupt you, but wow, it was the attention to the individual. So she very much was getting that, but it was also in a community, you know, in our school, in our class. We're together, we're all reading, but we can be individuals in there and we are connected because I'm going to know what you are reading. I mean, that's a pretty powerful thing to watch. Right. And you don't know it. You see it, but you don't know the impact I think it has. I mean, I was, what, eight, right? So I noticed it. But now when I look back, like, you're right. What an impact. What a lesson to teach me. And you can be an individual, but also part of something else. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so my dad's a physician. And actually, he just loves his work passionately. He just retired. But to him, retirement means I'm going to work every other week instead of every (laughs) week. (laughs) And so... He is incredibly book smart. And so, you know, we often think when people are so book smart and he's Ivy League educated, I mean, just really a brilliant man. He also has such amazing people skills. And I saw in our community or at our dinner table, the way in which he would build rapport with kids is what made him spectacular at his job. So we would sit down for dinner and he would talk about how maybe he had a little nervous one sitting on his table getting ready to do their exam. And he would notice that they were nervous. And so he would maybe make a balloon animal or do a magic (laughs) trick to help them feel comfortable. My favorite story, he once took a child's shoes off of their feet and threw them across the room just to see what that child would do. The child was so nervous and the child started laughing. The parents started laughing. My dad started laughing. And then he was able to just carry on with his exam. So I think, again, his ability to connect as a human in that situation, you know, without a power differential, right? Right. Was really special to watch. So I know my strengths. I also know my weaknesses or areas of growth, you might say. So I kind of carried these with me, the strengths I saw in my parents. I knew I wanted to experience them for myself, but I also knew that I would not do well in a classroom of 24 children or in medical school. So I was able to sort of 
bridge those two career paths together into the field of clinical child psychology. So working with kids individually in a behavioral healthcare setting, it felt to me to be like a nice blend of what I'm good at, but also the ideals I saw from my parents while growing up. I absolutely love it. So you're a parent yourself, correct? I am. I have a five-year-old daughter and an eight-year-old son. Okay. Ooh, I love those ages. And you've worked with thousands of children and teens and families in your work. You know, so often people will come and say, I want to connect more with my child. I want my child to start talking. As Jackie says, the parents will say, you know, I say hi to my child and, you know, the earbuds go in or they take off the other way or they don't even respond. Is there anything that you would say to the parents here? Let's not do this. These are, you know, one may say mistakes. I don't know if it's mistakes, but it's not really effective when we try these certain things. Is there anything that you could say that parents could help them to like recognize that may not really work? If you want them to talk, these things probably will not work. Sure. And Robin, I think this is so important because in these moments and in our hearts as caregivers, we're really trying our best to give our kids what we think that they need. Right. And I always ask caregivers to consider what is the function of my child's behavior in this moment? So clearly we know that something isn't right. We're noticing that they're doing any of the things that you just shared, running away from us, putting their earbuds in. (laughs) We know something's not quite right and we're just trying to help. But I think the first thing that is paramount is just to take a moment to observe. So let's go through some of these things that cause our kids to kind of shut down. And you're right, when we sort of go after them we're not having the impact that we're hoping for because what we really want in these moments is for them to let us in. Right. So I think the first thing that we do often is lecture. And when we do that, I feel like we're displaying this polarization of generations. Oh, yeah. When we're talking yeah. and talking and we're sharing our experiences. <laughs> yes. Right? We're sharing how it was for us growing up. Um, kids remind me often that they're growing up in very different times and they don't have to walk five miles to school or <laughs> rain or whatever our parents said to us. So when we're not on sort of a level playing field and they interpret what we're trying to share with them, which again is help. We're just miles and miles apart from each other. And so their quick thought will be, this person has no idea what I'm talking about. I'm going to them out. I feel like that's the same with over-talking. We're trying to sort of share a point. I've lived this experience and I've had this experience and I don't want you to have it because I'm trying to protect you from it. And we just talk and talk. And our kids are not listening to us. I stop listening if someone's over-talking to me, right? Like, I feel like they hear like, wah, 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 like that Charlie Brown. They're not even, they're not even listening to us. Yes. I feel like another thing too that kids often perceive in these moments when we're trying to help is that they think that we're being critical. And that might not be our intent, but kids are already their biggest critics. You know, kids of all age have these different developmental tasks that they're navigating as it relates to where they are in their identity development. They're figuring out who they are, what they believe, how they sort of fit into this world. And the perceptions of adults giving feedback to them is often interpreted not on our intent, but on their core beliefs that they already think to be true about themselves. And they're not. Core beliefs are not typically true. But these inputs from us, if they're perceived as critical, 
people, it's sort of the icing on the cake, that confirmation that they are in fact not good enough or not worthy of whatever it is that's sort of in their core. What are some tips for parents that you feel like are helpful would help parents to be able to connect more, maybe even listen more to their children? Sure. So we're all unique, right? And our kids are all unique. And we all have different needs, even in different moments, in specific situations. So I always encourage caregivers to really ask the child what they need or think through what that child might need in that moment. And I think that we are to be brief And maybe if the child's stuck, offer some different suggestions of things they might need. And I feel like I do the same thing. I come home from work and I'm not sure if I need a hug or I need a nap or I need to work out. So it's different depending on how the day went and what the situation is. So I really encourage caregivers to, again, notice and articulate, verbalize out loud their thought process. When we do this, we're not just working it through for ourselves, but we're teaching our children how to navigate challenging situations as well. So I might say to a child or even to a client, you know, I'm, I'm noticing that you're upset and I just want you to know that I'm here for you in whatever way that you need me. And what they might need is space or validation or reassurance or advice or problem solving, a listening ear maybe a car ride, a run, whatever it may be, it's our job to be able to ask and provide that experience for them. And a child will hopefully in time sort of be able to regulate and learn what they want in that moment. But in the beginning, I would imagine, you know, their brains are just spinning. They're not quite sure how to articulate what they're thinking. So slowing down and maybe calmly offering them these different opportunities could be beneficial. Well, it's interesting. I know one thing that helped me a lot is I had to just check in with myself. And we know as parents, right, when we're going into lecture, when we're going into nag, we kind of know what we're doing. It's not like we don't. But sometimes I think it's driven by that anxiety or, you know, we're frustrated. And so I would just try to ask myself, like, what's going on with me? Is this more about me or more about them? What's my goal, right? What's my purpose in this? And so a lot of times I would just walk away and just really be mindful if I wasn't in a space to be intentional and listen, I would walk away because so often you see yourself, right? You walk in the house and there's your child's stuff all over the place and they've left a mess and they haven't done what they're supposed to do. And you're like storming up the stairs, just ready to what? And then you kind of have to assess like, what is that really going to be helpful, right? We're going to get into a fight. It's going to end in like the child being upset. I'm going to feel guilty. I just did that. And so maybe I need to just take a moment to pause and think about if my end goal is that the child is more responsible how can I achieve that versus kind of nagging and yelling? And a lot of times kids will also tell me that they feel like their parents can't wait to get them in the car for a car ride because then they just kind of let it all out. And kids are like, the car rides, I put my ear pods in and I just listen to music. And parents are like, why are they always putting their ear pods in when we're in the car? And it is that same kind of thing. Kids feel like they can't get out and there's not that space. Yeah. You know, I feel like sometimes doing nothing 
is actually doing something, mm-hmm. right? So Jackie, you were sharing, you know, you're noticing that you might need a break or you're noticing that your child might need a break. In those moments, that is something I, I would avoid having those conversations then and know that you're actually intervening by doing nothing. I think another thing that's really important for parents and even more novice clinicians to become comfortable with is silence. So maybe we practice having some car rides or some situations where we're actually not saying anything because sometimes in those moments, that's when a child starts to speak to us. So maybe try a car ride and maybe say nothing. And that might be a moment that your child shows you that they're ready to have a conversation. I also, I know you've discussed on your podcast in the past, the importance of family meeting. I think that if we get into the habit of having pre-scheduled days and times that we know we're going to have conversations that might feel a little bit more challenging and we table those, then we're creating realistic expectations with a framework that encourages an intentional situation to maybe remove some of the intensity and and feel more comfortable about what's going to happen in those moments. Good stuff. You know, this is a lot of good information. I know we've asked a lot of children, what are some topics that children often do not feel comfortable bringing up to their parents? Yeah, this is really, this has really turned in to sort of my community mission at this point, and we really are making efforts to talk to kids. So I just want to share this idea of community behavioral health integration as it pertains to kids and adolescents came out of the impact that we were noticing as providers and parents during COVID. We really all thought that we were giving our kids what they needed during this time. And I do believe that we were providing them with some wonderful opportunities to grow resiliency skills. And we gave them lots of tips and pointers about navigating life during the pandemic. But when we stopped and we really, and I mean really listened to them, allowed space and opportunity for them to speak, we did realize that we were wrong. They were benefiting from the things that we were talking with them about, but that's not what they really wanted. And we noticed that kids were far less interested in how to stay busy during the quarantine or how to stay connected to friends and even how to keep up academically. Those were things that we as adults thought they needed, but that's not what every child needed. And so what we were able to do is ask them. And they started to share with us that what they were wanting during that time was information on how to safely protest the Black Lives Matter movement. They were curious about reducing discrimination against Asian Americans. And they were also noticing how polarizing our country had become. So what we did as community agencies and partners, we stopped all of our programming We joined together youth serving organizations in our county and even beyond, and we really started listening to what these kids were talking about. And so we were able to essentially form this child-centric movement, and we invited the voices of our kids to drive our programming. And what we found is that we were better able to link resources and strengthen community partnerships so that every child could have a voice and an opportunity to thrive. So within this youth alliance that we formed, we were really intentional about asking them what they wanted us to speak with their educators, their school admins, and their caregivers about. And so consistently, topics that are coming up for us 
are ideas of harm reduction. And I know you've had Chelsea from Live for Lolly on your podcast before. So these kids are really asking for more information about fentanyl strips and how to help their friends receive behavioral health interventions for substance use disorders or other things that might be harmful to them instead of punitive measures. A lot of kids are asking to be trained in Narcan and for Narcan to be in more easily accessible situations for them. These kids are asking a lot about suicide prevention programming. Parents and educators are often afraid to even bring up the word suicide. They think that it would give their children thoughts about dying by suicide. And that's actually not the case. The kids are telling us the thoughts are already there and they wish they had opportunities to be able to speak about some of the misinformation that they have and some interventions with adults who might be afraid to talk to them about that. We're seeing a lot of movement in the LGBTQIA plus initiatives and conversations and kids are starting to create clubs within their schools or in their communities to help build efforts for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And really, I think overall, what I'm seeing most of, and again, I'm a child psychologist, but these kids are really hoping to reduce the stigma of receiving any help for behavioral health interventions. And this means for them in the school, it means outside of the school, they wish they could freely talk to their friends about what's going on for them and really normalize a culture of taking care of not only your physical health, but also your mental health. If we really take the time to listen, and I know my children are 24 and 25, and they've taught me a lot. I was brought up a different way with different information. And I know when I really started listening to their views, even though initially I was like, I don't know if that's right. I really did learn a lot from their perspective and their life experience. Sure. Yeah. When we hear those things that either we don't agree with, or it's just really difficult to talk to, or it's really alarming. Kids talking about suicide, that can be very hard for parents to hear. Is there any suggestions you have in responding when the child starts to open up? Any tips you can give our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. I experienced these myself as a parent where my child will say something and I'm just completely stumped or I don't know how to handle it. Or maybe I'm not ready to have that conversation with my child because I feel like I haven't prepared enough. And I think what's most important to remember is that in these moments, while it's hard, it's not about you. It's not about the parent. Mm -hmm. And if we want our kids to continue to come to us and talk to us, this is a defining moment where our reactions will dictate our child's future behaviors. So it's our job to sit and listen and process and try to not react. And if we need a moment to regroup, we should take that. And I think, again, a wonderful opportunity this provides in this situation to be able to narrate your thought process because you're teaching them, again, in this moment as a role model, how to navigate hard things. And it is completely appropriate for you to say, thank you so much for telling me this. I am sure that was hard for you. I need to take a little bit of time to go think this through. And I would love to come back and talk about this with you. And so if you're stuck or you were raised with different fundamental beliefs or you're not educated or you don't know much about what your child is bringing to you, talk with them. Talk with them about the research. Maybe look up, you know, some evidence-based documentation. There are community organizations that are experts in things that 
obviously we might not be. So I encourage families to use those resources, reach out to those partner organizations, reach out to experts, and just share with your children There is so much room to disagree, but there's also so much opportunity to learn. And opinions are important and they should and can be shared as long as it's done in a mutually respectful manner. I like that. That's helpful. Mm -hmm. And as parents, we do make mistakes. Any advice on what you would say to parents that feel like, gosh, I've I've really screwed this up. I haven't been following any of these, you know, suggestions, which I know I've been there. Yes, so have I. I have a doctorate in this and I mess up all of the time. (laughs) Being able to circle back to your child and reflect, acknowledge, and even apologize is what changes those dynamics in those moments. And it is okay to say to a child, I know that I might not have given you everything that you needed in these particular moments. I was doing the best with the information I had at that time. And these are opportunities to connect. We really are able to show our children that we are not perfect, that we make mistakes also. And again, we're teaching them to navigate challenging situations in the future. Dr. Katz, I have older children, 38, 36, and 34, and their line always says, so what page in that parenting book did that come from? (laughs) Right? Page four. (laughs) So, yeah, I think being able to laugh and to be able to take that ownership, you know, it wasn't my best decision. I did it and I have to own that. I think being able to laugh at yourself is great. We do make mistakes. I think acknowledging that adults can make mistakes and apologize for it is really meaningful for our kids. Absolutely. Well, we are two or three questions. Let me read them and you can make the decision. You can answer one, two, or all three. It's your choice. Number one, tell us one of your funny parenting stories. Now, this could be from your own childhood or this could be you as a parent. Number two, what TV family or movie would you want to be a part of and why? And number three, what does successful parenting mean to you? What do you think? I love all these questions. I will choose the third. Um, To me, successful parenting really means acknowledging the moments that I'm able to see my child's interpretation of our interactions through their perspective. So like many, I often feel like I'm not good enough for my kids. These are my tiny, most special and favorite humans, and I always just want to do right by them. But from their viewpoints, even though I'm sure I mess up often, and I know that I mess up often, I really try to soak in the times that I know that they feel happy and loved. So just a couple of examples. I remember one day after a really long day of work and volunteering, helping the kids with homework, soccer, all of the things that parenting involves these days, I finally got ready to make dinner and I opened this chicken to follow this very healthy recipe and that chicken smelled so terrible. (laughs) And the meat was expired like three weeks ago, didn't clean out the fridge. I was all ready to make this homemade meal, follow a recipe, you know, like air quotes, all the things that mm-hmm. made <laughs> but I had to pivot. So I looked in the fridge and I pulled out a cupcake tin and I filled it with like whatever I could find. So I cut up some fruit and some veggies, cheese, turkey, popcorn. I think there were like marshmallows and nerds, whatever. <laughs> and I, 
We moved all of our furniture aside and we sat down on the floor in front of the television and we watched a movie and we ate together. And to this day, that is still their most requested meal. Best dinner ever, they call it. And it was just a wonderful moment because as a parent, I thought I was not doing right by them and they thought it was just perfection. It's those moments that I come back to and I really lean into them because despite all of my insecurities, these kids are seeing me as like the dinner hero of that day. (laughs) You know? Yes. Memories, right? That's where memories are made. Absolutely. I love it. Oh, thank you, Dr. Katz. Thank you. I love having conversations and I know I get to talk to you very often. So that's awesome. And I love that. It's always a pleasure. And I think, you know, sometimes the simplest reminder can make the biggest difference in our relationship with our kids. And I think truly this is one of the biggest game changers for families. If we really can listen to our children, our children feel more confident. They feel more validated. I mean, it just makes a difference for everything. Yes, I agree. And thank you so much for having me here today to talk about this really important topic. Well, thank you, listeners. Uh, We appreciate the time you've taken. Dr. Katz, it's been a wonderful conversation. I hope everyone has a great day. Yes, thank you. Have a good day. And I'll talk to you later, Robin. Okay. Bye, Jackie. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you for joining us and make sure to subscribe and like us to catch our next episode where we will take you on a journey to find new ways of successful parenting.